Welcome to the Jono Show. All righty. Well, thank you so much for joining me on uh, the Jono Show here. And I am with Dr. Sean Pastuch. Is that how you say your last name? Pastuch, but my grandma used to say Pastuk. And I mean, however you want to say it, doesn't matter. Okay, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Dr. Sean, thank you so much for being here today. I, I've i been excited about this podcast for a little while. It was, we kind of went back and forth on scheduling and I'm so excited that, that we're able to make this work. Uh, for everyone listening right now, and if you're watching on YouTube, could you just give us a quick rundown of uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, I know that's a massive question. Just do do you know a portion of, of whatever you want to present and uh, we'll get into the rest here in a little bit. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I'll try to boil it down into a short thing for you, John. I love it. Uh, I like to think of myself as a really good, unrealistic thinker. And what I mean by that is um, nothing repulses me more than people saying, be more realistic. Think about that in a more realistic way. Think smaller. How can you look? No, that's, that's your thing. So everything about me, everything about my life, from the way that my wife and I have a relationship to the way that we decided to raise our kids, to the way that um, I run the business that I run, to the way that we hire, to the way that we fire, to the way that I take on coaches and, and responsibility. It all boils down to the idea of it, it doesn't matter if what we're trying to do here is realistic. What matters is how do we make something that wasn't realistic probable. I love that's, that. So, so um, that's probably that, one of the best answers to that intro question. I just want to say that that I've had because seriously, that that's that is that's incredible. It's less of exactly what you do and more of your your mantra on life, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's. I, I was I was on a what would you even call it? I don't know. I, I was on somebody's. If there were if we were doing live events, it would have been on a stage at somebody's event. Okay. But instead it was on Zoom to hundreds of people who were watching. Yeah, like and, a virtual summit or vir yeah. one of these virtual, yeah, absolutely. And, and so the, the host asked me, um, so what do you do at Active Life? What exactly is Active Life? And I don't know what it was. I went, I went around the answer that I always give, which is, you know, well, there's really two companies at Active Life. And one of them helps people get out of pain without going to the doctor or giving up their active lifestyle. The other one facilitates health and fitness professionals to do that for their clients and their patients. That's the answer I usually give because it's easy from a marketing perspective for anybody to understand. I just wasn't feeling it in the moment. So I just said, you know what? At the core of it, we break beliefs. That's what we do at Active Life. We are a belief breaking company. We take all of the stories that you've been telling yourself about what's possible, all of the stories that you've been telling yourself about who you are and what you should be able to do and why, and we break them. And we replace them with more confident, more constructive, more valuable beliefs that you can leverage your entire life off of. And so, yeah, it's, it's you know, you, you mentioned that it's a good answer. I appreciate that. It's because for me, it, it's, it's, we're in probably the hokiest space in the world, being health and fitness. You know, you, you look at the products and the services in this space, it's, it's embarrassing to associate a lot. So it's, it's about a mindset more than a, more than a specific service. Let me ask you, when did you get involved in fitness, in the fitness you know, industry as a whole? 2004. 
So no. 2004, I started in fitness because I got cut from the baseball team at the University of Maryland because I wasn't big enough. Okay. And I decided that I wanted to learn how to get big. Like I immediately developed a Napoleon complex on the spot. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and and um, I am, if, you, if I had to choose my superpower as an entrepreneur, as a person, it's rate of implementation, which means if you tell me something and I believe that it's effective, I mean, it's done. Like exactly how you told me to do it and all the way through. Um, so I started researching and learning and, and, and getting, getting into it and being interested. And I started training clients at the rec center at University of Maryland in 2004. Wow. So you went from being cut to saying, I want to get big. I want to be, I don't want to ever be in that position again where I'm, you know, disqualified for something physically. I want to really, you know, was it, was your goal getting bulky? Was it getting more athletic? What was kind of that vision in your mind that you originally had? I just wanted to get jacked because I was like, well, this guy's like, he's saying I'm too small. I guess if I was bigger, I would make it. And, and then the reality is, again, I don't really want to put the work in necessary to get bigger. Yeah. But, but it is interesting to learn what it is. And I am interested in looking good with my shirt off all the time. Like, that's cool. I like going to the pool and saying, yeah, I look good. So that's where it went. Awesome. So at that point, and you're, you're, you were in college or just starting yeah. college? Yeah, I was, I was in college. I was a junior at that point. So a senior. Okay. So at what point was there a switch from, um, you know, I'm, I'm training these people. I want to get jacked. I want to look you know, good with my shirt off to what I hear as a bit of a different mentality, maybe more on not just breaking beliefs, but living a pain-free uh, so there, 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 there wasn't a moment. There okay. were many moments. I can take you through a few of the pivotal ones. Okay. And the first one was I was training at Equinox. I was a personal trainer at Equinox in Great Neck, New York, or Manhasset, New York, depending on who you ask where it is. Um, and I got to full time in five weeks. It takes the average trainer at Equinox about six months to get to full time if they ever get there. And the reason I got there so fast is because instead of competing for all of the clients everybody wanted, the hot chicks, the jack dudes, the, the really good athletes who made you look good as a coach, I was looking for the people who nobody else was paying attention to. I was looking for the people who would hide in the corner, who would only go upstairs to the pool, who, the people who were like the misfits of the gym, if you will, from a clientele perspective. And nobody was talking to them. So it was a blue ocean. I felt it very easily. I used to take those people into the physical therapy suite and say, hey, my client, Barry, has an issue with this, this, and this. As a trainer, what would you recommend that I do to make sure that we move him away from what he's dealing with and start progressing his life? Well, if it hurts him, just avoid it. And I was like, you, you can't be serious. That can't be your best answer. That's and this was, this, was, this was trainers, other trainers. No, I was, there was a physical therapy suite. So oh. I went to the physical therapy office in uh, the gym. It. Oh, makes sense. Okay. Yep. Um, and they were like, yeah, just work around it. I'm like, that's terrible. Mm. That, that can't be the, that can't be the industry answer. So I started looking for things as to like, what do I do? And everything I found felt like bullshit. Yeah. For a lot of a bit of term. So I went to chiropractic school. That okay. was pivot point one. Um, came out of chiropractic school, hated practicing chiropractic. Hated it. So I enjoyed CrossFit. I enjoyed doing soft tissue work and adjusting people when I thought it was necessary. So I opened my own CrossFit gym, my own clinic. Pivot point number two. Okay. 
Uh, then I struggled my face off for seven years, making no money, working really long hours, uh, owning an event company, owning a clinic, owning a gym. And by the way, I had patients flying in for appointments. Like I'm talking, people flew in from foreign nations wow. and from other states like California. They would fly to New York for an appointment. And I still couldn't make money. I this is chiropractic, not on the CrossFit side? Or is this, was, this is kind of both? It's, it's, we, at this point, I had a partner and we had kind of created our own version of what we thought healthcare should look like. Makes sense. People were flying in for that. It was, it was the, you're going to get assessed from a clinical perspective over here. We're going to then identify how this assessment correlates to the way that you're performing over here where you're having a problem. And then, we'll, and then since you don't live here, I can't adjust you or do hands-on soft tissue treatment or any kind of regulation long-term. So the alternative is we're going to teach you how to exercise in the gym in a way that is going to be beneficial for both your workouts and your life. Got it. And that's, is that kind of why the CrossFit model was appealing? Cause it was very functional and, um, no, 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 the CrossFit model was appealing because it was easy to get into. Ah, okay. No. I want to ask you about CrossFit here in, in just a little bit, but carry on, keep going. Well, well and so, so the, 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 the final major pivot point was when I hired a coach that I couldn't afford for a thousand dollars a month for two hours a week or for two hours a month, forgive me, when I was making like 25, $30,000 a year. And he asked me, why, why do you do this? I said, well, I want to leave a legacy for my family. I want to make a living and I want to change the industry. And he's like, that's really cool. Uh, it'd be even cooler if it was true, but it's really cool. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I do want to provide for my family. I do want to, all those things are true. And he was like, yeah, I, I know. I believe you. But if your wife and kids died in a car wreck, do you quit? I'm like, no. So like, okay, well, let's take that out. It's not, it's not the why. And if I told you right now, I'm going to give you a billion dollars, but it's not going to change the industry at all. And it's the only thing that you can do for the rest of your life. Do you take it? I said, no. He's like, okay. So it's not about change. It's, it's not about making a living even. Right. And he's like, if I told you that you could change the industry, but you would be broke and you would live a difficult life, would you take that? No. And he's like, well, you need to go to work and figure out why you really do this. And that was the darkest month of my life because for a while I thought I had myself figured out. Yeah. And that was a, that was a really clear, like, you don't owe yourself. Wow. That's incredible. Those were some really interesting questions. I feel like when you ask a lot of people and I'm even thinking right now, my answers to some of those questions, you know, and I think a lot of people have uh, big lofty goals like that, but if they really, I, maybe they make those goals because they make them feel good, you know, or it's because of ego or something like that. Well, I think it's, I think part of it is that, and part of it is that they haven't been challenged on it. You know, Hey, if somebody's, if someone posts a photo and they're like, this is my why, and it's their wife and kid, are, is the first thing that you're going to do be like, actually that's bullshit. No, you're not going to do that. It would be inappropriate. So I think that most people don't ever get challenged on that stuff. And so we end up living in 
the echo chambers of our own minds. And that, that leads us to only having our own experiences. So, and I wanted to ask you about that because you you said at the beginning, kind of we started this, this conversation talking about the limiting beliefs and the limiting statements and phrases uh, that that people live with and you don't like to live your life in those, in the confines of those, mm-hmm. yeah, those statements. You're, you're against that, right? Where do you think those come from? Are those, are those coming from parents? Are those coming from yourself, that echo chamber that you're just talking about? I, I imagine that there is copious research on this that would speak better to it than I can. What I can tell you is my, my anecdotal belief around it is that it's a confluence of all of those things. It's the way that your parents talk to you. It's the way that you, uh, it's the way that your parents demonstrated love and how you were able to get it from either of them. It's the way that teachers recognized your skill level and your ability to be successful. It's the way that you went out into the world and tried things and people responded in a positive or negative way. It's all of those things. And it's what do we do that is socially acceptable but is personally unacceptable. And, and there's a lot of that. But I think that until, until we ask people, that's socially acceptable. But is it personally acceptable for you to have that be your reality? And I'll give you a simple example of that. There are countless people who come to us in active life and say things like, I have a bad knee. Okay, you have a bad knee. That is socially acceptable. People commonly say things like, I have a bad knee. I have a bad back. Yep. But is it personally acceptable? And if the answer to that is, well, I don't want to accept it, but I feel like I have to. Well, then, then it's not personally acceptable. And the only reason why you still have a bad knee is because you've stopped exploring how to fix it. I wonder and if so, people have thought about it like that. I, most people who we talk to have not. And, and in fact, um, most of the people who we talk to end up working with us one-on-one report that they're actually in less pain before they even meet their coach. Because the way that their mind starts thinking about what is pain, what am I dealing with? What is the uncertainty around this issue? Why did I actually decide to do this now? Nobody gives a shit about pain. I hope I'm allowed to curse, by the way. I've, I've done it three times now. Oh, no. So it's uh, not for kids on YouTube. So we're okay. going for it. Okay. I figured you have tattoos and an awesome haircut. I can probably curse a little. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, that is that that people haven't been asked this this way, and so the reason why they start to feel pain in a lesser degree before they even meet their coach is we just stripped away a lot of the uncertainty around what is that pain? Does it serve you? Does it not serve you? Why did you come to us today? And it's like therapy without being therapy. Hmm. Yeah, because you're really challenging their mindset. They're, you're challenging their assumptions. And you're totally right about those social things. I wrote that down because that's brilliant. The socially versus personally acceptable. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of that that happens in our lives, like you said, from all these different influences that do formulate a part of our worldview. But I don't think we're allowing it. And, you, and you're totally right. People make the choice to allow that pain or that you know, whatever issue. And certainly some of it needs professional guidance, but you don't know where to start looking if you don't even, you're not even challenging some of those kind of things that are on repeat in your head. Um, That's huge. Okay. So speaking of parents, you have a family, correct? 
Meaning, I mean, the answer is yes, no matter how you ask that question. But yes. I have parents and I have kids. Okay. Okay. So how many kids do you have? Three. Do you find, I, I, I want to talk about family a little bit in combination with business, um, mm-hmm. because I think there are a lot of limiting beliefs that I know as a father of four, seven, almost eight to six, seven months now, um, kind of the range there, two boys, two girls. I know there's a lot of beliefs that seem to be reinforced by these little micro things. And I love your Instagram. Anyone who's listening or watching this, check out Dr. Sean's Instagram because it is not only practical and will challenge you, but it's pretty funny at times too. The highlight, the dadding highlight, I could relate to so much. <laughs> there was one in there about the, the pooping that was just like, I was just dying. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, dad, dad talk aside. Um, how do you juggle being a father and that in- incredible post? I actually saved this post on Instagram about how your wife came to you and said she didn't want to raise the kids as a single mother. Mm-hmm. And that was like, whoa, because she wasn't talking about divorce. Like you said, she's talking about you just being gone. Talk to me a little bit about that. How do you handle a work-life balance that makes you both a effective leader and an effective husband and father? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, There's a few things to this. The first thing is we have rules of the household that are very different than most people's rules. Okay. And what I mean by that is um, what we teach our kids, we've over-communicated on before we've taught anything to them. So Kimberly, who's my wife, and I over-communicate on the things that we want to teach our kids so that we're extremely intentional about it. And we go down the whole what if decision tree based on what we're going to teach them. So for example, and, and, and I do this exactly the same way in active life as the CEO. So for example, there are only two four letter words in our house that our kids are not allowed to use. They're can't and hate. That's it. If my daughter uses fuck and she puts it in the sentence properly, I'm cool with it. I don't I care that. that she turns, I don't care that she turns six in February. Right? That it doesn't matter to me that somebody else thinks that that's inappropriate. That's their problem. Mm-hmm. Deal with it in your house. It's you know, I don't see why it's all of a sudden. Kids have to wait until they're in their teens to hear it in high school, ask some some other kid what it means, and then use it. Like, why? Yeah. To work. Totally. So, so that's an example. And and in work, it's I'm we have a, a motto that's the same in the house. It's it's never about you. And it's always your fault. What that means is nobody is going to do anything with the expressed intent of making your life worse. However, people will do things that make your life worse. It will feel like somebody is doing something with the expressed intent of trying to make your life worse. Mm -hmm. The reality is they're trying to make their own life better. It's about them. It's not about you. They don't really care that your life is worse. They care that their life gets better. And they believe that the only way to make their life better is to make your life worse. If you can recognize that, then you don't have to be angry with anybody. 
you go from being angry with somebody to feeling sorry for them. And we teach our kids this on a on a regular basis, even, even to the point that yesterday my, I'll call her six because she turned six in February and the other one is three. She just turned three in May. Um, the three-year-old came and sat down on the couch right in front of the six-year-old so she couldn't see the TV. Of course she did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> she, was, she was in a bad mood. Now, my six-year-old, when she, when she um, is in a bad mood, she goes into her own room and she takes some personal time. And that's how she that's how she comes out of it. She goes up there until she's calm, then she comes out and she verbalizes. The three-year-old, that doesn't work for her. She wants everybody around her to know that she's upset. And she wants to avoid being upset by herself. So she wants other people around her to also be upset. And then it makes her happy because she's not the only person who's upset. <laughs> so when she sat in front of my six-year-old, my six-year-old got angry. And I watched my fucking three-year-old smile. I'm like, little bitch. So I, you know, so, so then I grabbed my six-year-old and I pulled her in front of the room. And I'm like, here's, I want you to understand what's happening. And we worked through it. And then about 20 minutes later, the three-year-old was still really frustrated about something and she was throwing a tantrum. And the six-year-old came in to try to console her. And she gave her something that she had made for her. And the three-year-old threw it on the ground. And the six-year-old got angry. And I was like, come with me. And I explained it to her again. I said, what you're trying to do right now is you're trying to make Andy happy. Right now, Andy does not want to be happy. Right now, Andy doesn't know how to be happy. So the only thing that she's going to do is make you upset, which makes her happy because now she's not upset alone anymore. So when she gets that way, I just want you to give her space. Let her figure it out. So that's one of those like the old the old parent in me who maybe hadn't thought about these things as clearly would be like stop it would you stop doing that and that doesn't solve anything because now the three-year-old has learned oh cool i can get dad pissed too yeah double down on this yes yeah. so um i've learned a great deal about running a company from running a household in partnership with my wife it's you know, our executive team, we talk about things in copious detail to make sure that we've considered all of the all of the downstream results that are going to happen if we pull the trigger on something. And I maintain that I have one job, both in my home life and in my work life. And it is to create a safe and inspiring work environment, a safe and inspiring living environment. That's it. It's amazing how so many of the same principles that happen between our kids oftentimes will play out between the employees or just those dynamics are very similar. And that dynamic between your six and three-year-old sound very familiar mm -hmm. <laughs> in our house here. And um, I think maybe less common in that clarity as adults, because there's a lot of other things that are layered on top of that, but the concept is still there. And I definitely can think of times when people want to get that rise out of you. And if they're getting the rise out of you, it's because it's about them and you don't, the only way to respond to that is to pull back a little bit and give that space. Um, well, I love- well, well, and John, the, the only way to be able to do that, you asked about work-life balance. I did a poor job of answering that. The only way to be able to do that is to be 100% present in your life. 
and to be 100% present in your work, at least for me. So my work-life balance, if you looked at a, a scale, the pendulum is not, the fulcrum is not in the middle. The fulcrum is way closer to the work side because it's a lot heavier. Yeah. You know? And so for me, I, an hour and a half a day of intensely focused time with my kids is outstanding. On the weekends, all the time. But during the week, an hour and a half. And people look at me all the time and they're like, that's, that is the worst. Like, you must be the worst parent. I'm like, yeah. Add up all the time that you're with your kids when you're on your phone. Add up all the time that you're with your kids when you're watching the show. Add up all the time that you're with your kids when you're doing something other than being with your kids. And let me know if you have an hour and a half with your kids that's without crazy. anything else. Yep, that's so and, true. And by the way, I don't really give a shit because I'm not comparing my life to yours. Yeah, no, but that's a huge point because so many people, oh, you know, I spent all this time, they're clocking time, whether it's with their spouse, whether it's with their kids, whether it's even at the gym. I bet you would have incredibly impactful workouts with people. And I don't know, I'm just, you know, speculating here that you could probably do more with someone in 20 or 30 minutes of focused, concentrated exercises or with one of your coaches rather than someone else going in the gym, kind of milling around picking up weights, doing random things. Well, your sister can tell you, we teach coaches and gym owners not to sell time, but to sell outcomes. So if you wanted to buy a personal training session from your sister, she's not going to sell you, would you like an hour or a half an hour? She's going to sell you a session. Mm -hmm. She's going to tell you, you need 12 sessions or 24 sessions. Well, how long is a session? Won't run over an hour? Probably won't run under 30 minutes either. Okay. We got to get, we got to get out of the habit of selling time. Yeah, that's powerful. Let's move to the business side of things. Cause I'm really curious about active life. Uh, go and I love the term pro. Uh, that's kind of a phrase that you've coined a hashtag. Tell me a little bit about the, the two types of business. You said one's for coaches, more for coaches. One's more for, for the clients. So, so, so think, think of it this way. Um, we have a proof of concept business. Okay which is the proof that the, the concept that we're aiming to prove is that active people would rather get healthy in active ways than in passive ways. Okay. So a passive way would be you show up at a physical therapy clinic, you show up at a massage clinic, you show up at an acupuncture clinic, you show up at a chiropractic clinic, you show up in an orthopedist office, you take a medication, you ice, you rest, you massage, yada, 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 yada. Passive. Active people are more interested in taking active steps to improve their lives than passive steps. So we need to prove that concept ourselves and demonstrate that, look, people want this, even if it's not even in person, even if it's remote, even if they've never met the person they're gonna buy it from, even if they don't get a medical diagnosis or to get their insurance, they have to pay cash. We need to continue to, to, to prove the concept that that is a reality. So we have a team of about 20 one-on-one -on -one coaches who we've trained to be absolute assassins at solving these problems for people one-on-one -on -one from anywhere in the world remotely. Wow. That side of the business for us does not need to be profitable. Mm -hmm. It is, but it doesn't need to be. It just needs to be successful. Because now what happens is people say, okay, there's an audience of people who are interested in learning how to get out of pain from anywhere in the world 
without giving up their active lifestyle and they're going to this company for it. If I could do that, maybe they would come to me. Where could I learn how to do that? Oh, wow. This same company teaches other people how to do it. Why are they, why would they build their own competition? Well, because the market didn't exist. You know, if, if, if there was a float tank place on every corner, you would try a float tank. The fact that there's like one float tank per county makes you feel like, eh, I don't know. It seems weird. That's for the outliers. That's yeah, yeah for the really, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so for us, why wouldn't we build our competition? Our long-term goal is not to be the best one-on-one -on -one service provider in the world. It's to educate the world on how to be the best one-on-one -on -one service providers in the world, how to make a living doing it, how to be proud of what you do for a living. Instead of so many trainers run into the situation or coaches run into the situation, they get to the, the holidays, which we just got through, right? Thanksgiving. And their aunt is like, oh, so how's, how's work? Um, it's, it's fine, you know. And they're like, you gonna get a real job soon? That sucks. Yeah. So we wanna teach fitness professionals how to bridge the gap between where they're at and where the healthcare world is because the healthcare world needs help. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what we do. Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think that the healthcare world oftentimes chooses to mask or work around some different problems, unless you're going to have a big operation or something like that. You similar, Yeah. Similar to the physical therapy that, you know, you said you went into their offices, oh, let's just work around that if they're back, struggling with their back or shoulder or whatever. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And it, and it perpetuates the social norms that are, that are, that are personally reprehensible. So then is this a course that you're training coaches? Is this something that a CrossFit coach could join? I could, uh, you know, I could own a gym and um, yes. kind of like my sister does. And then, so you're, you are an educator of source. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Makes sense. So, so, so your sister, for example, is already running a facility where she went to the members who were still there when she purchased it and said, I know you used to pay this but we're gonna increase your rate by a factor of two and a half and you should stay. And everybody did because they recognized that the solution that she was gonna provide was exponentially more valuable than what they were previously getting. And that's what we're looking for because now she's not competing with every other gym in town for ass and ego of everybody around town. She's competing with nobody. She's competing to solve the problem that gyms create and doctors can't solve. <laughs> That's, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Not only the ass and ego part, but also both. It's interesting. People are sandwiched in between those two sides. And you think that you have to go to one or the other and people bounce back and forth probably between both. The yeah. hybrid that you're creating is totally, totally fascinating. Um, when you got into the fitness industry, you said 2004, correct? Yeah, that was right. Are you familiar with shreds? Yeah. Uh, shreds or any of those supplement companies that really like, you know, um, the idea is kind of take the supplement, look better, feel better, uh, kind of bro metrics on lifting and things like that. You're completely against that, correct? You're more, uh, you're highly personalized, it sounds like, not only for your coaches, but also for your clients. Uh, I'm not, I want to avoid, I want to be careful. It's not that I'm against that. Okay. It's that, um, I believe that there's a, there's a segment of the population who wants more than that. And that's why I want to service. 
there are people for whom, yeah, take this supplement, do this thing, and it works. And that's fine. It's great. It's all that they want. It's all that they need. They're not looking for accountability. They're looking to go to the gym, do their thing. Not everybody wants to be challenged from a, who are you? Legitimately, you know, internalizing your, your beliefs and determining which of them serve you, which of them don't, and then deciding which ones to keep and which ones to replace. Not everybody wants that. And as much as I would love to be able to impact everybody in the world with our service, I understand that that's, that's, not, that's not a hill that we are yet prepared to climb. So what we are gonna do is we're gonna look at everybody in the world who says, I've, I'm disenfranchised by both the fitness space and the healthcare space. And I wish that there was something that was inspiring. And we're gonna inspire all of them. You're creating a blue ocean, which is exactly what you said. Have you read that book, Blue Ocean? It's my favorite, it's my favorite business book. That is so cool. Um, I'm gonna ask you at the end, by the way, favorite business resources to share with some of our listeners or viewers. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to hear yours. Um, I love to where you said when you were at Equinox that you were looking for the people that you felt were disenfranchised by the fitness space. Cause I feel like there's a ton. I feel like it's probably the majority of people, especially who are maybe coming into the fitness space after a little while or trying to better themselves or whatever. Um, and I think that you've had places like planet fitness that like to create this like judgment-free zone and they like to have pizza unless, parties. Unless, unless if you're doing things that they don't like, in which case they judge you. <laughs> exactly. Gr grunting in the squat rack or different, uh, all sorts of different things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, we've done some work for them in the past and the cake parties, the monthly cake parties are, always throw me. But um, it's, I think it's really amazing. You're creating, you're carving out a, a new, but highly necessary and highly important niche and and it actually i feel like it's almost the biggest section of the space it's wild that it that you could even consider it a niche but it's totally totally mm -hmm. right um talk to me a little bit about business so when you're thinking about um improving your business growing your business especially in a time like this you know you're leading a company like you said you're leading your family you've shared a little bit of your mindset on on both of these topics Speak to someone who is a new business owner. Speak to someone who's just starting out. Um, and there's probably corollaries here between someone starting out on their fitness journey and someone starting out on their business journey. What challenges or questions would you have that person ask themselves if they're maybe looking to start something or maybe they have a little something and they're making $60,000, $50,000 a year, but they really want to grow? So I don't know that I'm going to answer this in the way that you asked it. Fair enough. Uh, my, my advice would be stop trying to figure out how to climb the staircase that you can't see the top of and understand how to climb the step that's right in front of you. And so what happens is I see people, and I've done this myself, who are like, wow, that's a long way up. I better start running right now. And they don't see the ice on the bottom step. And they slip and bust their face. And they're like, oh, okay, well, I guess you can't climb these steps. Well, no, there's ice. How would you get rid of the ice on the step? Great. You are now stable at that step. So what I would advise to people is that they build a valuable skill set that actually solves somebody else's problem. Because that's what people buy. Nobody buys anything except a want that solves a problem for them. 
you know, what, what kind of car do you drive, John? Uh, either an F-150 or a Fusion. Okay, so nobody ever bought a Porsche, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, because they gave a shit about how well it turned or how easy it was to park. Nobody did that. They bought those things because they wanted to feel like a boss when they drove around. So what is the problem that that product solved? Someone's ego isn't being fed enough. Well, let's feed the ego with a nice car. So what problem do you solve for people? There are four questions that I would ask people to ask themselves in any business. And you should know these and you should be able to answer them at any given time to anybody. Question number one, what problem do you solve for people? And you should know three versions of that problem, by the way. The external problem, which is what they would tell people their problem is. The internal problem, which is why they really have it. And the philosophical problem, which is all of the things that they have tried that didn't work that they think should have. Mm. Got it? Got it. So then number two, through what process specifically do you solve that problem? If you just start telling me you do the same thing everybody else does and you do it better, I'm moving on. Yeah. Specifically, what process do you use to solve that problem? So that I can understand as the consumer, this is going to work for me. Question number three, why are you uniquely fit to solve this problem? What experiences do you have? What education do you have? Why, why are you personally uniquely fit to solve this problem? And number four, it's kind of a two-part question. Who has the attention of the people whose problem you can solve? And how do you bring them value? That's it. If you can answer those four questions, they continue, the answers to them continue to change and level up and level up and level up. And as long as you keep bringing value to the world, both your clients and to the people who have the attention of the people you want to be your clients, you will never struggle in business. Wow. I want to go back really quick. This is like, I'm going to be listening to this back as I edit it and just really drilling into this in, in my own self. So thank you for this, uh, this, uh, counseling, business counseling session. <laughs> um, so I want to go back to what you said about the, the ice on the first mm -hmm. rung. You're, you're there and you slip and you bust your face and you're like, ah, you know, you know, this is not for me, or you make some conclusions, or maybe it keeps that feedback loop going that, that might be there. When you talked about the stairway that you can't necessarily see the end of what, um, how does that work for someone who wants to kind of pick a trajectory, uh, an industry, I want to start a gym with a thousand members or whatever, whatever they want to say, I, I have no idea, right? Whatever their big goal is, I want to be a, um, whatever it is, I want to start an online and Amazon store, Shopify account, whatever it is, and I want to make X amount of sales. And this is what I want to do because of this. And they, and they have these goals. Instead of taking that big lofty goal, are you saying, just ask yourself some of the questions that you just gave to us and then no. look at what that is and go, no. how do you kind of well, pick your point? So the, the answer to all of the questions I gave you before is, is one thing to have a successful business. The question that you need to ask yourself afterwards is if that was extremely successful, what's the worst case scenario? 
So if every everyone's afraid of the worst case scenario, things go bad. Who cares? Like I, I get it. I understand why you're nervous about it, but you just I'll tell you what the worst case scenario is. You go bankrupt and you start over. Almost always. And and if you are if you're a very social person, maybe you're embarrassed and you're ashamed and you have to pick yourself back up again. I get it. That is your worst case scenario. If things go badly. Maybe you lose a bunch of money, you gotta dig out of a hole. What's the worst case scenario if things go well? Nobody thinks about that. What's the worst case scenario if you reach scale in your company? Do you want that? Like when things start going really, 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 really well in the business, if it creates turmoil in your life, let's say for example, you're you, John, and if your business scales out really well, it's gonna require you to do a ton of traveling. And for you, one of your core values in your family is quality time together. And one of the ways that you measure that is what's the quantity of time you're spending with the family? I'm making this all up. Yeah. Well then having a career that at scale requires you to travel a lot isn't good. And what if you end up being senator? Well, that sucks. Yeah. And that's yeah. the pinnacle of where you're going. So what ends up happening is people end up self-sabotaging subconsciously because they start moving towards success and they fear it because they know subconsciously that I don't want that success. I want that success. So what I would advise to people that before you start climbing the staircase that you can't see the top of, you have to decide I enjoy climbing staircases because you don't know where this is going. You have to acknowledge that I enjoy being tired. I enjoy being frustrated when I, when I have to now find the solution to that. I enjoy that process. I enjoy the suspense of not knowing where this is going to end. Like that, you have to make that decision first because when we started our company, I would have said to you, let me ask you something, John. If someone said to you, it's like physical therapy for active people. That sounds amazing. Well, that's not the business model, but it was the first day. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you can't, you can, I would advise against planning how you think things are going to go. Got it. Totally. I, I love that. When you talked about the four questions, and you talked about that last question. I think that, that those layer of questions probably will leave the listener, the viewer, and certainly leaves me with a couple of blank spaces, right? You know, man, I haven't thought about that before. Or wow, you know, I haven't really considered who has all of the attention in my space. Or, you know, some of those things. So on my piece of paper, right, there are these blank areas. Maybe you don't feel like you have the skills, maybe you really want to do this, but you're also, maybe you're lacking confidence or you're actually lacking real skill. What is the advice there? Because we have an entire generation of kids graduating from college, mm -hmm. entering a workforce, right? I got you. What I would do is I would advise you to make a, like take whatever, what, whatever the career that you wanna start is, whatever the company that you wanna start is, let's just pretend that you're an auto mechanic. And you want to start 
the best auto mechanic space in the world, but you have limited experience as an auto mechanic. Mm -hmm. That's a good example, I hope, for what we're talking about here. Perfect. Right? Okay. I believe that the mistake would be to go out into the world and say, I'm not going to open this store until I know how to fix every problem of every make of every car that can ever come in. But I would say, open that shop and let people know we have three services here. I'm positive I can fix your brakes. So today, I mean, we're talking world-class brakes. I am positive that I can change your oil. Like you're, I mean, oil change that just tickles you inside. <laughs> and I am positive that we can improve the air filter on your car. So right now, those are the three services that we offer. And we do them extremely well. Like I'm talking so well that it pisses you off that I won't do something else on your car for you. And start to pay attention. What are the other things that people most frequently ask to have done on their car? Oh, people want their transmission work done because it's expensive and they don't trust the other guy who builds transmissions. You hear that enough, well, the next skill for you to stack is fixing transmissions. Great. Now we fix transmissions too here. Are you full or are you able to now acquire enough business that your business is full and you're fulfilled? If not, but you're really good at all of those four things. Well, the next thing that you need to do is figure out, do I have a marketing problem or a sales problem? And go develop the skills in marketing or sales to bring people in the door or to close them on their deals. Do you like, you, what? I was going to say, do you like, or are you a proponent of as the business owner, I guess, how much would you say someone should learn about any one of those different things? Obviously, as the business owner, you kind of need to know some, but the difference between going out and learning Instagram marketing versus going and hiring someone who's really, really good at it. You need to know enough about it to hire the right person. Fair enough. So, so um, at the end of the day, the business owner needs to put new business in the business. It all comes back to them. If, if new business is not coming in, it's the owner's fault. Mm -hmm. Well, the marketing department didn't do their job. Well, you hired them. Yeah. You trained them. You gave them the resources. Everything's your fault, like you said. 100%. Yep. So that's that's the that's the answer to that question. And, and I don't recommend becoming a master at everything mm -hmm. at all. And I don't know anything about building cars. So the example I gave might've been a terrible one, but what I'm getting at is make a list of 10 people, you know, around town whose problem you can already solve with the service that you provide and start thinking about how much better their life would be if they would let you help solve their problem. Think about the path that they're down with the problem that they have that they haven't let you try to solve yet. Can you live with not solving that problem for them anymore? If the answer is no, hopefully the answer is no. Great. Now go solve that problem for those people. That's how you start your business. And then it becomes, okay, what other problems what, what other people have problems like you do? Who else do you know that has this problem? Now that I've solved it for you, I'm sure that you know people whose lives would be better if you sent them here. Yes, of course, these seven people. Great. That's how your business grows. That's incredible. 
Dr. Sean, this, this podcast, I feel like is packed with so much practical information, even though we didn't talk about specifics, you didn't talk about marketing tactics per se. You didn't talk about sales tactics. You didn't tell me anything about, um, you know, specific movements in the gym or anything specifically chiropractic, but you really covered the mindset as you approach these things. Cause anyone can pick up a book, you know, and learn the content, learn the technical skill, but if you're not applying the right strategy to it or the right mindset or approach, perhaps you'll really be limited. Um, and I, I'm just so appreciative for you sharing some of this uh, with me and, and with everyone else. As we wrap up here, I wanted to know, do you have any favorite resources or uh, podcasts, books, blogs that you read? Um, where do you kind of fill yourself back up, you know, as you're constantly outputting into your team and into your family? Where do you go for, for inspiration? You can kind of take this in whatever direction you like. So I really enjoy good podcasts. I like Masters of Scale. Um, that's my favorite business podcast to listen to. Okay. I really enjoy um, improving my relationship with my wife and my kids because I find that the more, the more I work on myself and being a better person and being a better leader and being a better partner, uh, the better I do in business and the less stress I deal with every day because it's nothing is ever that big of a deal to get that stress out about it. I mean, we just let go of one of our most important staff members out of the blue because something happened and it had to be done. Um, it affected me for like 20 minutes. And, and, you know, I had to deal with it for the next week, but it was like in that moment, instead of that being the whole day, like you have a bad moment, you have a bad moment. Yep, it, I've been there. It's over when the moment's over. So I really, really, really hang my hat on hiring coaching. I am constantly working with coaches. I mean, I, I told you a minute ago, I hired a coach for $1,000 a month when I couldn't afford it. I was making $30,000 a year. Now I think I spend six or $7,000 a month on coaching. And can I ask you, can I ask you about that a little bit? Cause yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious myself uh, about that. How do you, I guess my two questions are, how do you find a good coach or someone that, that you, uh, that will actually take that investment? Cause you're investing a thousand, whether that's 12,000 a year, 24 or a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're taking that money. And it's as a business owner, you're kind of thinking like an investment, I'm going to give you this and I'm going to get this sort of return, either going to increase my relationships and my business, my revenue, whatever, right. You're trading that money for their experience or their input on your, your business. How do you, you're shrinking time. Okay. So how do you find that person? How do you? Yeah. Um, the way I have found most of my coaches who I've worked with in the last three years has been through podcasts. It's been, I have somebody on or they come on, on my show. And in the end, I'll ask them like, Hey, by the way, I'm looking for someone to help me do this. Do you know anybody who would be great at that? And I get introduced and then we take it from there. And some of these people then are people who may not have a formal coaching program or something like that, but people that yeah. you say, Hey, could I pay you 
$500 per session and I want to have four sessions or one session or whatever it is. Yeah, I haven't. Um, the only coach I've ever had who didn't have a formal coaching business was that first one. Okay. That was, that was a patient in the clinic. Uh, everybody else has. Okay. Just because I think that there's value in them having some structure yeah. to what it is that they, that they want to do and taking you seriously and taking your time seriously. But it's always come from recommendations of other people. You know, and I've, I've or I was at a mastermind once in Southern California and one of the guest speakers came and I had a check in my pocket for $45,000 to join that mastermind. I tore up because I was like, I want to be more like that guest speaker than anybody else in this room. How do I get to that guest speaker? And I spent the next seven months endearing myself to that guest speaker. So he would take me on as a client. That totally answers the question. Okay, good. I love it. I love yeah. it. Well, Dr. Sean, I really appreciate your time. Um, I'm, I'm so pumped to re-listen to this. I'm pumped to share this with my audience. Thank you for everything that you're doing uh, in, in the active life community. And I know my sister just speaking um, from a personal standpoint has absolutely enjoyed being a part of what you have going on. And I've seen her grow personally. And I, I think even professionally uh, as a result of that. So you guys are killing it. I appreciate that. Can I leave the people with one more thing? Please do. So there's a lot of resistance to investing in your personal development because it, it's, it's difficult to track the tangible ROI, right? I spend, I spend a thousand dollars on my personal development. Well, how does that translate into me making more money? And is that worth it then? What I would implore on you is this. Investing in your own self-awareness and your own ability to be a better person is so much more important than investing in your ability to be a better business person. Because for me, if it wasn't for being able to leverage the things that our business does in my personal life, there would be no point to my business existing. If it didn't provide me with fulfillment, there would be no point in my business existing. And the only way for me to have anything provide me with fulfillment is to be able to identify what fulfillment looks like for me. Hmm. And the only way for me to be able to do that is to really observe it. And when you start to observe it, a lot of questions come up. Well, am I married to the right person? Have I had the right conversations with this person? Am I being the best partner for this person? Or is my stress in that relationship because I haven't done a good job as a partner and she is upset with me over it. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes, okay, well, do I need to get a relationship coach? Maybe. Would that make your work better? Maybe. And, and that is just one of the very small examples that I can give you. And by the way, that was not a personal example. I actually hired a relationship coach with my wife, but it was when things were good because we felt like that's the best opportunity to really air things out. Um, but I just find that the more I learn about myself, the more I invest in myself, my personal development, the more depth I have to offer to our business clients. Hmm. Wow. I, I really like that. And, you know, you said relationship coach and it just sparked something realizing that many people think of hiring a coach for um, 
uh, something business related maybe, or something work related, or maybe something school related. When you're in school, you get a, a tutor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but very few times, I think the natural inclination when you're struggling with something in your relationship or with your kids or something like that is to go out and hire a coach to be a better parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's huge. Oh, we do it all the time. All the time. Huh. Like we, we've hired uh, behavior analysts to help us look at the way that our kids are doing things and decide, is this, are we handling this in the most productive way? And we did all this investing before we really had a lot of money to invest because I recognized that I was living a stressful life and what, what I want to make money for to live a less stressful life. Well, how does money give you a less stressful life? Well, you don't have expenses that you can't. And, and like it, it, it doesn't <laughs> solve those problems. You're still going to have a kid who's waking up at two o'clock in the morning and walking into your bedroom, no matter how much money you have. Yeah. So what's the plan? So for me, it's, I'm trying to optimize my personal life and I'm using my business as a lever. I love it. Cool. Dr. Sean, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you being on the show. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you personally, your business, if they want to become an active life coach, if they want to turn pro, um, where they can can check out Dr. Sean Pestuch on Instagram, or they can find me on LinkedIn at Sean Pestuch. Awesome. I love it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. We will uh, see you all in the next episode.